you guys done with your Christmas shopping? How many of you are done with your Christmas shopping? Wow, pretty good. I went to Anchorage yesterday. I forgot what Anchorage is like on this Saturday before Christmas. Uh, I'll tell you what it's like. You shouldn't go there. That's what it's like. We got to Costco at 9.33. It opened at 9.30 and there was no parking. I know, right? It's just crazy. I love our little town. Isn't Homer the best? Oh, man. That wasn't actually a plug for Homer. You already live here, so. Well, we're celebrating Christmas, celebrating the Advent season. Uh, this is when, uh, for generations, uh, we have celebrated God's gift to us in the form of His Son, who came to earth, became a man. Uh, you guys know much of the story. Uh, for some, that's, uh, that story of his unconditional love, his, uh, his good gifts, his unmerited kindness is a difficult story, so we've replaced it with, you know, more acceptable storylines like an old man who watches you while you're sleeping. <laughs> I've actually been paying attention to the lyrics of Christmas songs this past week. There's some weird stuff going on. <laughs> he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sakes. Why? Otherwise, you won't get presents for Christmas. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. In other words, sadness is an unacceptable emotion during this season, so you better knock it off or Santa's not going to give you presents. <laughs> I know it's kind of sad, right? Sorry, I'm getting some good vocal response here from the front row. Frosty the Snowman, there's a noble character. Have you ever actually paid attention to the lyrics of that song? Me neither, until this week. He led them down the streets of town right to the traffic cop. He only paused a moment when he heard him holler, stop. That's called evading arrest, that's what that's called. <laughs> <clears throat> Rudolph, super depressing story. All of the other reindeer would laugh and call him names until they realized that his physical deformity was of some practical value to them, and now they love him. You know, back when I thought you were just an ugly reindeer, I would publicly mock you and call you names. <laughs> but now that you're useful, not only do we love you, not only do we shout with glee, but you'll go down in history. 
And then there's the worst of all, Elf on the Shelf. <laughs> I've never really paid attention to this. So I'm probably going to step on a few toes here. You don't have to acknowledge that if you've been using Elf on the Shelf for years and it's your favorite family tradition, that's fine. You can still be a Christian and you can still come to church. <laughs> After you repent. Do you know what the Elf on the Shelf is? It's a, how many of you are aware of this tradition? Yeah, it's a, it's a little elf doll that you put in your house and you're supposed to... So this is the part that I already knew about, not, not, having, not having read the details, the fine print. It's a little elf you put around in various locations of your house and then uh, usually with some kind of treats or something and your kids each day they get up and they go find the elf. But the elf is a spy. That's what the elf is. The elf is Santa's spy. So not only does he watch you while, her sleep, while you're sleeping, he sends small inanimate spies into your house who go back to him every night while you're sleeping and report on your behavior. All for what? More <laughs> presents. Mm. And our kids know it's a farce, right? How many of you have actually given your children bad presents because they were bad children? No, actually, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Isaiah 9, verse 6. I read this last week. I want to do just a quick review. I told you last week this was two parts. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of the peace that he brings, there will be no end. Remember, this was the promise given hundreds of years prior to his arrival that God was going to send a child and that child would establish on the earth a new kingdom. And that kingdom would have no end. And that kingdom would bring a peace that would have no end. A peace that would begin to grow until that peace covered the face of the whole earth. That was the promise. Then you fast forward a few hundred years, and again, I, I mentioned this last week, I'll mention it again. God, at the right time, the fullness of time, when the, season of, of the seasons of human history had reached the right moment, his plan was delivered, enacted on earth through the baby Jesus, through his son, who would become king, whose kingdom would uh, be the only kingdom. Now, we live in a time where uh, between the comings of Christ, right? So we know that his kingdom, even now, is subversively advancing. That is the realm in which his will is that uh, within which his will is accomplished. That realm is growing 
It's spreading across the earth. His will is done in more and more places. But there's coming a day when only his will will be done. It will be done perfectly, always. And guess what? That will be a kingdom of peace with no end. We're looking forward to that day. Well, I told you last week, uh, we, we looked at a couple of things. I entitled my, my teaching, Good Gifts. I said that he is a good gift giver. God gives good gifts, only good gifts. That he is ultimately the only good gift giver. That everything that is good in this life, we have received from him as a gift. And everything that is good that has been corrupted, everything that causes pain is as a result of our sin, right? Maybe not mine directly, but I live in a world that has been corrupted by the effects of sin. And so his good gifts are, are at times tarnished, at times bruised and broken, and other times just completely shattered. He is a good gift giver. He is the only good gift giver. And his good gifts come to us through Jesus, this baby. All of the things that we lay claim to as believers, we lay claim to through Jesus and what he accomplished. And many of those good gifts that come to us from God through Jesus are so easy to miss. That's where I ended last week. We looked at one of those good gifts from Ephesians chapter 1. The good gift that we looked at, Paul says, I, I, I pray that your eyes, the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that you would be able to see more clearly what God sees. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance in his saints? He says, one of the gifts that is a good gift that comes from God through Jesus that's easy to miss is the gift of the people of God. And if you're like me, at, at times you have found that uh, difficult to appreciate and receive and enjoy as a good gift in fact, because of our sinful world, sometimes that good gift has been a source of pain in your life. And yet it's a good gift that only God can give through Jesus. And it's so easy to miss that good gift, the people of God. Well, I want to look at two more this morning. Two more good gifts that come from God that only God can give, that come to us through Jesus and that are easy to miss. So you ready? So if you have your little note thing, divide it into two sections and then save a little space at the bottom for the summary because there's a little like uh, surprise attack summary. Got your notes all divided up. <laughs> Maybe you don't operate like I do. Here's the first gift. Are you ready? I'm going to read this in context. Ephesians 1. For this reason, uh, actually I'm going to pick it up in 17. Paul is praying for them. He says, 
I, I pray for you that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you would know three things. That you would have, you would have a heart that is able to recognize God's good gifts, that you would see with something other than just your physical eyes, that you would know, meaning that this would be your ever-increasing experience as what your mind knows, your heart believes, and is the reality of your experience. The second gift is this, that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you. That you would know the hope to which he has called you. Some of you here in this room are wrestling because you don't experience hope. Things in your life have led you to this conclusion. Hope may be for some. It's certainly not for me. At least that's been my experience. That you would know, not just that you would agree with, not just that you would recognize, but that your, the eyes of your heart would be opened to experience, to embrace, to lay hold of the hope to which he has called you, to which Jesus has called you, the good gift of hope that only God can give you through Jesus that's so easy to miss, the gift of hope. This hope takes on different forms for us. I'll share my favorite one first, Galatians 5.5, 5, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. The hope of righteousness. We, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting this hope that evil, that sin, that sickness, that death, that strife and contention will all be done away with forever. Anybody here tired of contention? Anybody tired of malicious bickering? Hurtful gossip? We have this hope that there is a coming day when we, when everyone, when God's gift of righteousness will be the rule of the day, and all of the effects of sin, the, the struggle, the challenge, the sickness, the hurt, the pain, and the memory of it will all be done away with. My personal vote is I could go for some of that now. But I guess I'll wait a few more years.
in my closest relationships. I have done the most harm. People that I would tell you that I love the most are the ones in my life that because of their proximity to me, I have hurt the most. And I can remember a time so well when Jenny and I as semi-newly married husband and wife, a couple years in, no kids yet, I remember the feeling, the experience of losing hope because she was ruining everything. <laughs> I say that facetiously because that's what every young spouse feels, right? I couldn't see it. I couldn't lay hold of it. It's a good gift that God gives us through Jesus. And it's so easy to miss. It's hope. The hope that, that, that for those that I love the most, that the harm, that the brokenness, that the sin that has robbed us will be gone. Well, what about now? What about my hardships now? I have this future hope. What about now? Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. It's unfortunate to me that this, this scripture in particular has fallen under some it kind of has a bad reputation, this passage in particular. And it kind of has a bad reputation because it's used oftentimes dismissively to sort of, uh, it's, it's used in a way that detaches us from other people's suffering, right? At least it has been. Oh, you're suffering, well, don't worry, you know, God says all things work together for good. But this scripture along with the rest of the testimony of Scripture, tells me this, that we have now this hope that there is no bad situation, there is no bad set of circumstances, circumstances out of my control, there are no bad people, there, are no, there is no kind of evil on the planet, no kind of uh, badness that I experience in my life. None of it can rob me of the purposes of God for my life right here and now. None of it. That God takes even the things in my life that I would love to get rid of, even the people in my life that I would love to get some space from, <laughs> that God in his sovereign capacity knowing all things from an eternal perspective, is able to work through all of those things to continue accomplishing his purpose in and through my life. That's hope. These things don't define me. The brokenness, the hurt doesn't define me. 
God is continuing to work on my behalf to accomplish his purposes in and through me. Paul says, Philippians 3.14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This calling, this hopeful purpose was so valuable to Paul that he wasn't just telling others they should believe in it, but he was, he was uh, grabbing a hold of this hope and running after it to lay hold of it. Now, why would Paul need to run after it, to press into it? Because the good gift of hope that comes through Jesus is easy to miss. Paul writes this passage while in prison. He had been called as a missionary to go and spread the gospel. He knew that was his calling. He knew that was why he was on the planet. In fact, he says it's the only, it was the only reason that was worth staying on the planet for longer was to accomplish his God-given assignment to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And here he is in prison saying, I'm still going after it. I'm still laying hold of it. My bad situation has not removed me from the opportunity to pursue the hope that comes through Christ. That you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you. If you are here this morning wrestling with despair in any area of your life, you need to know something. It's not because hope has been diminished or lost. It's because you can't see it. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened to see it. Whew, man, I'm really into this. Second gift. Pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would know the immeasurable, or your, your translation may say, the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. He says in Ephesians 1, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe in accordance, meaning that power, in accordance with the working of the strength of God's might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The power through which God accomplished all of that is available to you now. So, what power destroys your life? What enemy do you wrestle with? Is it fear that has power over you? Is that the enemy that you wage war against? Pray that your 
the eyes of your heart would be open to understand that there is a power available to you through Jesus. It's so easy to miss, but it's there and it's available and it's greater than the power of fear. Fear doesn't have to be in control. Is it selfish pride that has power over you? The inability to confess the inability to humble yourself that has wreaked havoc on your closest relationships. Is that what has power over you? There is a greater power. Maybe it's your appetites. Man, appetites are powerful, are they not? Controlling, dictating. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's your sexual appetites. That at the end of the day, maybe every day, maybe repeatedly over time, at the end of the day, that power in your life has remained dominant. And you've lost hope. You need to hear again this morning, there is a greater power. Maybe it's your appetite for money. Maybe it's your appetite for food. Maybe it's your appetite for approval. You wrestle against these things and you go through periods where you feel as if maybe in your case, for whatever reason, you've done it wrong. And as a result of you doing it wrong, God's power has departed and he's left you to fend for yourself. Paul says, no, the, the challenge is, is that your eyes have been darkened. And my prayer is that your eyes would be opened to know, to experience, to have a, a very real, ongoing, transforming experience of the power of God in your life such that at the end of the day, you see this happen, that God's will dominates over these other forces in our lives that are so powerful and controlling. You see God's power surpassing that. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's loneliness. It's different for all of us. And one of the temptations that we run into is we look at someone else's struggle and we say, well, yeah, I would have preferred to have that one. Mine's too much. This is too strong. This power is too great. The power of God in our lives, knowing the power of God, experiencing the power of God in our lives as the greatest authority over all rule and power and dominion, that power in our lives is a good gift that only God gives he gives it to us through Jesus. But it's easy to miss. And I think too frequently we overcomplicate it. 
It's an online quiz, seven questions. The title of the quiz was, what nationality are you? I can only think of one question that would be on that quiz. What nationality are you? How is it that we take a long road? I know it's difficult to lay hold of. I know it's difficult to believe. And yet Paul says, it's there. It's available. Go after it. You would know his power, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly Beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. In your imagination, in your area of, of battle, in your area of struggle, whatever that is in your life, if you, if you really try hard to imagine a life where those things are not so powerful, where those things don't have the last word in your life, where you don't feel constantly defeated by those things. If you imagine that situation in your mind where Christ is truly in control and he is having the last word in every area of my life, Paul says, you can't even begin to comprehend what he is able to do far beyond what you have imagined, far beyond what you have asked, far beyond what you can currently conceive of. Why? Because his power in you through his spirit. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen. That was a good one. That was good. Thanks. Jesus is no longer a baby in a manger. He is king of heaven and earth and is currently ruling on his throne. Full stop. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, You should try it. You could just say yes to him now. It's that simple. It really is that simple. You're walking one direction, you turn around and say, I'm done. I'm going the other direction. I've been walking away from the Lord. I'm done. I'm going to turn towards him. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're tired of, of, the, of the consequences of that distance from him. You're tired of what your life has produced. You're tired of the lack of hope, the lack of power. Then you could this morning say, today's the day. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to turn myself to you. I'm going to commit myself to you. I ask that you would come, that you would invade my life, that you would forgive me of all the wrong and that you would 
opened my eyes to see the hope. You can do that now. And you will find that he will be near and present with you. So here's the clincher. You ready for the ending? So we're a little, a little early. This doesn't happen to me very often, but I'm actually wrapping up. So we're probably going to end five minutes early. I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team up. It's either that or me trying to just like repeat myself for five extra minutes. It's Christmas, so I'm going to give you the gift of me not doing that. Here's the clincher. Paul's three prayer requests are inseparable from each other. And not a single one of them can be entirely, independently enjoyed or experienced. He says, I've given you, God has given you these three good gifts. Hope through him the gift of his people and the gift of his power. And if you pursue any of those independently of the other, it will rob your experience of the other two. You would, you would pursue God's power in your life with the gift of his people in your life your experience will be so much more enriched that you would go after the hope that he has made available with his people. That his people, the gift, remember he says, the, the, uh, the glory of his inheritance, the immeasurable worth of his inheritance, the saints, the people of God. It's in the context of learning to be in relationship with each other as Christ modeling his character, that we find that he supplies back to us in the context of Christian community, greater hope and a greater experience of his power. For some of you, the lack of that experience of power and the lack of that hope has actually caused you to step away from the gift of his people. You thought, well, maybe if I had more of that power in my life and maybe if I had more of that hope and that was easier come for me, then I would be more comfortable being a part of his people. But it's in the context of the gift of his people that power and hope are made available. So don't run away. Step in. Guess what? They're all easy to miss. But they're all good gifts because God only gives good gifts. And they come only from him. And they're through Jesus made available to you. Would you guys stand? We're going to have a few people over here to this side available for prayer and uh, let them be a gift to you this morning. If you're wrestling, if you're wrestling for hope, if 
you're wrestling for an ongoing experience of God's power in your life and you want to experience the gift of his people supporting you in that, uh, they'll be available for you. We have communion uh, stations uh, here and in the back. Uh, we celebrate the death and resurrection, God's gift of his body and blood for us. Uh, there are giving receptacles along the back as well. But together, we're going to celebrate Christmas. We're going to sing some Christmas music together. Let me pray as we come before the Lord and worship. God, I pray that as we come before you, that we would be able to do so with open hands, that we would be able to receive from you this morning, that you would fill us. That no matter how gloomy the day, how dark the night, that our hope in you would be growing, would be robust, that your power in our lives would be transforming your kingdom of peace would pervade every area of our hearts and our lives. We come before you now. In Jesus' name. I'm so thankful for the gift of your son, for the gift of peace, hope. I'm thankful for the gift of this body of believers the source of strength that they are to me and my family and so many others. I'm thankful for the power of your spirit in my life, transforming my heart, my inclinations, and my will into your image. And in doing so, you have brought me to joy as you have for so many others. I pray that in, in special, uh, personal, unique ways that we would be encountering you this Christmas and that we would be your hands and feet in the lives of others. My prayer that you would be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, According to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas.